somebody come up to you and say, oh, I was praying for you last week. And what did that mean to you? I've had people come up and tell me they've been praying for me. And, you know, say, really? You thought about praying for me? Oh, my goodness. You're blessed, aren't you? And, you know, it's just the easiest thing to do is, is to just, somebody comes to mind, say a quick prayer for them. And how many times do we just let that kind of, oh, yeah, I'll get to that, and, and we don't get at it. But I love what Paul gives us here. He outlines some very specific things we can be praying for people. And so I want to get into that tonight. So let's pray. Father, we come to you, Lord, in Jesus' name. And, Father, we want to thank you for your word and how it just um, illuminates, Lord, the, the life that you want us to, to lead and the way in which we are to live and how we can pray more powerfully and more effectively, more fervently, Father, in the different situations of our life and how we can pray for your people, even if we don't know them, Lord. Uh, that, that doesn't stop us. And so, Father, just give us wisdom and insight, understanding and knowledge tonight as we look at how we might pray more effectively for your people, Lord. We thank you, we praise you, and we ask your blessing tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. So, First uh, Samuel twelve uh, twenty three, uh, we read that Samuel said to the children of Israel, "Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you." So Samuel considered it a sin to not pray for God's people. That kind of sheds a real different light on it, doesn't it? like, yeah, this is something we really need to do. And um, James 5.16, he encourages us to pray for one another that we may be healed. And how important it is that we take the time to lift each other in prayer. The Apostle Paul, throughout his epistles, is constantly praying for the churches. If you look at all his epistles, he's got fabulous prayers in Ephesians and Philippians. Tonight we're going to look at the prayer in Colossians chapter one verse one through fourteen, and I love this prayer of Paul's because it's really power packed. You know, it's a, it's kind of a long sentence, uh, but it's one sentence long. It's a short prayer. You know, sometimes we can pray for ten, fifteen minutes, and we don't really get too much accomplished. At least I can. And Paul just managed to condense everything down into this very powerful sentence. He is saying a lot. And so tonight I just want to unpack this prayer a little bit and look at what exactly is he asking God for, for these people. Uh, so I want to look at this verses, uh, these verses um, two ways. First, Paul's prompting to pray. What prompted him to pray? And then secondly, we'll look at Paul's petitions in prayer. So let's look at what prompted him to pray in verses uh, 1 through 8. Um, he is praying uh, for the Colossian church. And um, the city of Colossae was uh, of a small city, about 100 miles from Ephesus. And it was a, a Gentile church. This city was very prosperous at one time, but when Paul was writing this letter, um, the the city had um, been in decline. It was of very little significance at that point. But Epaphras, uh, who had uh, come to Paul with the concerns of the church, um, 
kind of let him know what was going on, and there had been some false teachings infiltrating the church that were uh, going to be a problem for these believers, and Paul wanted to address those things. Um, the philosophy that is uh, coming to the church had to do with um, oriental mysticism, Gnosticism, human wisdom, all kind of all mixed up with uh, Jewish legalism. And so you'll find that Paul addresses them, and he really talks a lot about right knowledge and where we find wisdom. Wisdom is in Christ. It's not a worldly wisdom that he's talking about. So he clarifies all those things. Um, But before he addresses these very important issues that these believers have, he prays for them. And in verse 1 through 2, Paul says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul identifies himself that he's an apostle. But he didn't make himself an apostle. It wasn't something he set out to do. God called him. God has given him this authority over the church to be able to write these things to them. Um, So God had put him in the ministry. And I love how he addresses these people. He calls them saints. They were holy. They were set apart. They were faithful. They had responded to the message of the gospel. And they were brothers. They were born again into the family of God. And so Paul has a connection. And just like we have connection with our natural family, you know, you want to care for your natural family. You're concerned about them. When we are born again into the family of God, we have a care, a concern, a responsibility to be, to be concerned for one another. And that's what, what Paul sees here. He desires that these believers know God's grace and God's peace. And so then he starts his prayer with thanksgiving. In verse 3, we read, We give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints, because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel which has come to you, as it has also in all the world, and is bringing forth fruit, as it is also among you, since you heard it and knew the grace of God in truth. As you also learned from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, who also declared to us your love in the Spirit. You really get a feeling that Paul loves commas and he hates periods. Because <laughs> he just keeps adding and adding, oh yeah, and this and this and this. And, um, but he's thankful for these believers. He has never seen them. And, and Paul knows a little bit about them, but not personally. Um, but he gives reasons that he's thankful. For one, he's thankful for their faith. They'd responded to the gospel. He is thankful that he has heard of the love they have for all the saints. He's thankful because he's heard of the hope that they are living with, that hope of heaven. And he had heard of the fruitfulness that their lives were bearing. So these are reasons Paul is very thankful for these believers. They had responded in faith. Now, we know faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God. And this is um, where these people were. They'd responded to faith of the gospel. But it isn't enough 
to just respond in faith. We need to walk in faith, grow in faith. And Paul knew that. This wasn't enough. They needed more. Um, And the evidence of their faith was their love. They had love for all the saints. Um, It was demonstrated in their lives. In Galatians 5.22, we find that love is the fruit of the Spirit. And then they had hope that motivated them for all that they did. Because when you have the hope of heaven, the hope of seeing Jesus Christ, it really enables you to do things you might not do otherwise. Because I have hope in God. I know I'm going to see him face to face. And that hope really changes me. That hope gives me a reason to live holy, to be right with God, to um, please him. And, you know, the hope that we have transcends anything that happens to us in this life. I love Psalm 42, 5. Uh, David says, why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. Sometimes we just have to have that conversation with ourselves, don't we? You know, why are you cast down? God is still in heaven. God is ruling. God is with you. He will help you. You know, sometimes when things are going bad, I just want to look at the bad, bad thing going on. Instead of looking up, I remember going through something a while back and God specifically told me, do not look in, look up. And I have never forgotten those words. And I tell myself that all the time now. It's just part of my routine, my conversation. Don't look in, look up. And that's my hope that God is with me. And I love these three things, faith, hope, and love. Because isn't that what uh, 1 Corinthians 13 13 talks about, now abide faith, hope, love, these three, but the greatest is love. And so we see these operating in the lives of these believers. And he's also thankful their lives are bringing forth fruit. Um, They had received the seed of the word of God. It had been implanted in their heart, but that seed had grown to the point where it had become fruitful. What was inward was now outward. And that's what God is always doing. He's trying to get something in in us so he can get something out of us. He wants his life in us so he can work it out of us. And that's what fruit is all about. John 15, 5, Jesus said, I'm the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. And fruitfulness is what he was seeing in their lives. So we're to abide in Christ. We are to continue to grow in the Lord. Um, and Epaphras is, is a part of Paul's equation here because Epaphras is the one that went to the church, shared the gospel, and he had lived the gospel. He was an example of a faithful minister of Christ. And how important that is for all of us to have someone we can look to as an example. And all of us probably have someone in mind that has truly been um, impactful in our life as a Christian. They have modeled what the gospel is all about. But you know, ladies, we all need to be that for someone else. We need to model what it is to believe in Jesus for my children, my family members, um, people that I'm ministering to as well. So Paul... uh, 
is so thankful for these people. He lays out why he's thankful. And now he gets into his petitions in verse 9 through 12. We read in verse 9, For this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you would be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power, for all patience and long-suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who's qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. So as Paul prays here, we see that he focuses on the spiritual, not so much on the material or the physical. And I just want to share with you, ladies, when you're praying for somebody with a physical need, a material need, do not leave out the spiritual need because they're kind of all tied together and God works it all, uh, all out. So I want to look at, there's like five petitions I've grouped up here. And the first one is to be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. And so the word there, filled, means to make full, fill up, fill to the top, nothing uh, left over to full measure. And it has the idea of being controlled by, completely filled up so that, that what you're filled with is controlling you. And so he wants them to be controlled by what? The knowledge of God's will. Because being filled with the good knowledge of God's will can then affect my actions. And where do we find the will of God? In the word of God. You know what, ladies? It's not something only a few can find. It's not difficult. It's not, they're not hidden in places where you're trying to figure out where do you think that the will of God is, just read through the scriptures, and you're going to get to know his will for your life. If you will be faithful to fill yourself up with the knowledge of God's will, his spirit will be faithful to illuminate it and to bring it back to your remembrance. Our part is to fill up on it. It's just like when you have your dinner, you fill up on that scrumptious food, right? And you don't eat just a little because you really like it. You eat probably too much of it, filled to the full, right? And that's the way we are to fill ourselves up on the word of God, fill ourselves to the full. Sometimes, you know, have you ever seen those devotionals, One Minute with Jesus? Who? Who gets anything out of a minute? You know, we need to fill up. We don't need to, to get a sip. I want the whole glass. And so that takes some time, and it takes some effort, and it takes some planning, and it takes purpose. And so you take time to purpose, to read through the word of God and get to know what he has to say to you. What is his will? Find those things out. Mark them down. When you find things that are a direct um, command to you, when his will is. And then the, the spirit of God, after you fill up on all that stuff, the Spirit begins to bring it back to you during your life, during uh, whatever circumstances are going on. When you begin to worry about something, he's going to remind you, keep your mind stayed on him. 
He will keep you in perfect peace if your mind stayed on him because you trust in him. Isaiah 26.3. When you're tempted, he's going to remind you, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. James 4.7. When you're angry, he's going to remind you, do not let it control you. Deal with it before the sun goes down. Ephesians 4.26. These are God's will in different circumstances. And what's so amazing is that He's able to bring that back when you need it. The will of God is clear. It's evident. And the Spirit brings it to life. I'll never forget one time when uh, my kids were little. Tony worked swing, swing shift. He didn't get home till 1 in the morning. And my kids had those um, tent beds. Any of your kids ever have those, like a little tent that goes on their mattress? Well, my daughter's in there sleeping. And Tony had just got home probably... You know, 20 minutes ago, barely falling asleep. And my daughter throws up in her tent bed. Well, the thought of cleaning that up was was just not very inviting. And I'm walking down the hall. I can't believe it. i got to do this. Oh, my goodness. And the scripture comes to my mind. A wise woman builds her house and a foolish plucks it down with her hands. You know, what kind of example was I being to my children as I grumbled down the hallway? What kind of example was I being to my husband as he was trying to get to sleep? Do you think he wanted to clean up, throw up after he just got off work? I don't think so. Um, but I love it. God, God's spirit makes his word so practical. His will becomes clear, but we fill up on it so he can show it to us. So what are you filling yourself up with tonight? The knowledge of his will? Uh, the things of the world? Your desires? Things that please you? Whatever you're filling yourself up with is the thing that is going to control you. So let's fill ourselves up on the word of God. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We can know God's perfect and acceptable will. As we submit ourselves to God, We reject this world's system, aligning our thoughts, renewing our mind in his word, and then we're able to discern what God wants from us. Ephesians 5, 17 through 18, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not be drunk with wine, which is dissipation, but be filled with the spirit. So he's telling us, don't be unwise. So it's unwise if we do not Fill ourselves up on the will of God, the knowledge of his will. That's unwise. Why? Because then I won't know what God wants me to do. I won't understand uh, how to put his word into practice in my life. And I love the comparison that's made in this verse. It says, um, do not be drunk with wine. What happens to people when they're drunk with wine? They're controlled by and influenced by the wine, right? It's real obvious 
They are not acting themselves. They're not talking like themselves. They're really not being themselves because they're under the influence of that wine. In contrast to that, be filled with the Spirit so that you can be controlled and influenced by Him. And He will begin to influence your thinking, your words, your deeds, uh, all that you do. Now, the general will of God is laid out clearly in Scripture for everyone. You know, children, obey your parents. It's clear. Um, We are to uh, be sanctified. We're to know how to possess our vessel in sanctification and honor. We're to be doers of the word, not just hearers. We're to pursue peace with all men. Forgive as we've been forgiven. Speak the truth in love. Um, you know, wives love your husband. Husbands love your wives. There's just the will of God is there. It's the general will of God that we all can know. But sometimes you, you want a specific will for a certain situation, right? Isn't that always the conundrum? Hmm, but how do I figure this out? Well, we have to go back to the word of God. Sift through the word of God. What are you going through? How does the word of God apply to that situation? Look up the scriptures that deal with it and pray through it and ask the Lord to guide you. And so um, your situation may call for um, prayer, but sifting through the word of God as well. He will never contradict his word. So as he's guiding and directing you, it will be in line with the scripture. And so we are be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. You know, human wisdom cannot comprehend God's will or his ways. Um, Our wisdom is too limited. And so we need spiritual understanding, spiritual wisdom. And that comes with being born again. Um. Wisdom and understanding have to do with doing his will. We get familiar with what his will is, and then the wisdom and the understanding help us put it into practice. Wisdom is the comprehension of the truth. Understanding is the application of the truth. So the believer can comprehend the principles of Scripture and then put them into practice. So wisdom and understanding, they come Hand in hand. Job 28, 28. uh, And to man he said, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And apart from evil is understanding. To fear the Lord, to be in reverence of him, that's wisdom. Uh, To depart from evil, that's the application of the fear of God. I know I am to fear God. And when I depart from evil, then that's the application And James tells us that we must be doers of the word, not hearers only, because then we deceive ourselves, right? When are we blessed? We're blessed when we do his word. And knowing the will of God in wisdom and spiritual understanding is for the purpose of living a life worthy of the Lord and fully pleasing him. So that will be the byproduct. And that's the second request that Paul has, that they would walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him. So we find that right thinking leads to right living. The purpose of being controlled by the knowledge of God's will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding is that we can order our conduct then to please God. 
We need to put shoe leather to our faith. That's practical obedience in everyday life. G.L. Moody said this, Every Bible should be covered in shoe leather. Your shoe leather and my shoe leather. Psalms 50, verse 23 says, Whoever offers praise glorifies me, and to him who orders his conduct aright, I will show the salvation of God. So I'm to order my conduct. As I know what God uh, wants me to do, then I have to be the one to implement it. I order my conduct to be right, to be in line with God's word. Our purpose is to walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him. Um, The word walk is how a Christian's life is depicted in the Bible. And the word walk means to regulate one's life, conduct oneself. It speaks of our conduct. And when you think about walking, it's one step at a time. It's not hard, but it's a progression. And we're to move forward in our Christian life in, in the direction of pleasing God. And we are to conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of him, worthy of God. What is God worthy of? Well, he's holy. And so scripture says we are to be holy in all our conduct. I am holy, so you be holy. Be imitators of me as dear children. So we're to imitate God, walk worthy of him. 1 Thessalonians 2.12 says that you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. So we're, we're to walk in, worthy of him in our calling. We're to walk in love, walk in light, walk in purity, walk in the spirit, walk in his ways, walk uprightly, walk in the newness of life, walk by faith, walk by wisdom, walk in the truth fully pleasing God. If we will do these things, if we will implement all these things in our life, um, we will please God. And don't you think it's amazing? I think it's amazing that I could please God. Could I actually do something that pleases him? He is God almighty. He is holy. He's God who lives in heaven. He's created the heavens and the earth. He is completely sinless. I am Sinful, I can please God. You know what? We can. And he says, do it. I want you to please me. And we please God um, when we live a life holy as he's holy. Romans um, 6, 8, 6 through 8 talks about those that are in the flesh cannot please God. But if I walk in the spirit and if I have my mind set on the things of the spirit, then I can please him. And so the first thing, I cannot please God if I'm in the flesh. So I must walk in the spirit in order to please God. Hebrews 11.6 says that without faith, it's impossible to please God. And so I must put my faith and my trust in him if I want to please him. Hebrews 11.5 speaks of Enoch. says that he did not die. God took him because he had the testimony that he pleased God. What did he do that pleased God? He walked with God. God was a part of his everyday, daily life. And that's what God wants to be with you all day long, every day, a part of your life. Psalms 
147.11, the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, in those who hope in his mercy. Because the fear of the Lord does what? It helps us depart from evil. Jesus in John 8.29 says he always did those things that please the Father. We seek to please God in all things at all times. Are we going to be perfect at it? Not at all. But we're going to try. When you fall down, you get up and you try some more. And we obey his commandments. 1 John 3.22, and whatever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things pleasing in his sight. Obeying God pleases him. In 1 Samuel 15.22, Samuel says to Saul, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, to heed than the fat of rams. But so many times we find it easier to make a sacrifice. I'll just give this to God. I'll just do this for God. I'll just serve. I'll just do this. When we neglect the obedient issue, when God's calling you to do something, obey. Just do it. You're going to be blessed for it, and God's going to be pleased with you. Whatever we do, do it heartily, as to the Lord, not to men. That pleases him. The outcome of walking worthy and pleasing God is the third thing Paul prays for, and that is to be fruitful at every good work and increase in the knowledge of God. So the outgrowth of our, our walk that pleases God is going to be fruit in the form of good works. And Jesus spoke of this in John 15. John 15, 4 and 5 says, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. So we are to abide in him to be fruitful. You know what happens when you cut a a branch off a tree? No fruit. No life, no hope. We have got to be connected to the Lord. Paul said in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You let Christ live through you. That's what being connected to the vine is all about. Letting his life from that vine flow into your life and bring fruit. See, a tree, when it's being fruitful, it's not straining. It's not working so hard at it. It's natural. It's a natural outcome. That's what that tree was made to do. You and I were made to bear fruit to God. It will be natural if we will stay connected with him. Philippians 2.13 says, It is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. God is working it in so that he can work it out. He wants your life fruitful. We're not saved by good works, but they are the result of our salvation and our walk with God. Ephesians 2.10 says, We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Did you realize that God has foreordained particular works for you? There are certain things 
that he wants you to do. He wants me to do. I think that's amazing that God would take the time to think some things that he would really like me to take care of for him. Just do this. That's a privilege to be used by God. And it's, it's fruit on our account. So we're to be rich in good works, maintain good works, stir each other up to love and good works. And, and as we do this, we will increase in our knowledge of God. Because as we're connected to him, we are to be growing in our understanding of who he is, doing the things he calls us to do. Um, it reminds me of when you have a good friend, you can't spend enough time with him, can you? You never get tired. Trudy and I can go somewhere and we never stop talking. Sometimes I think, do we really have anything new to say to each other? Probably not. But never stops us. And we never think, well, I'm kind of tired of you. I'm not going to call you up this week. You know, as if we haven't seen each other for a couple days, hey, what are you doing? I miss you. You know, aren't we like that with our friends, with our family? We want to spend that time together. And you want to get to know that person more and more. And that's the way we should be with God, increasing in our knowledge of him more and more, bringing him more into the areas of our life, making him a bigger part of my day, being aware of him more often, thinking of him, growing in that relationship with him. You know, I collect uh, glass dishes. It drives my husband crazy. But for whatever reason, I just love uh, those cut glass, um, probably from an era ago. Um, But everywhere I go, I seem to find just one more. You know, you think I have, okay, that's enough. Okay, yeah, I'm not going to buy any more of those. You go to the swap meet and, oh, but I don't think I have that dish. You know, and I just keep increasing this collection of dishes. How much more valuable to be increasing in my relationship with God, my knowledge of him, and my practical application of his word and experiencing who he is in my everyday life. Paul goes on to pray that they would be strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and long-suffering with joy because God never intended us to live this Christian life in the energies of our flesh. What did he tell his disciples? You go wait for me in Jerusalem till you become endued with power of on high. This is going to be a, a big task, and you're going to need help, and I'm going to provide the power for it. God provides the power for your life and my life. So we're to be strengthened with all might according to his glorious power. So he supplies the power needed for a life pleasing and fruitful to him. Ephesians 1, uh, 19-20, he talks about that power as being the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him in his own right hand in the heavenly places. So his power is exceedingly great. It is glorious. And that's the power that strengthens us. That same power that rose, that, that was working in Christ and raised him from the dead. Isn't it amazing that God would give you the same power 
that was in his son? Wouldn't you have thought Jesus would have had a more powerful situation than you do? Not true. His glorious power is at work in your life. Sometimes when I think of the glorious power of God, I think of the parting of the Red Sea. Or maybe when fire came down and Elijah called fire down and burned up the sacrifices. What an amazing display of power. But sometimes I think it is much greater display of God's power when we bite our tongue. And we don't say that word or that cutting remark. That is the power of God at work in your life. Obeying his word. When he says, you know, speak what is true, speak what is good. Or maybe when you let go of resentment and you stop thinking on how you can get even, how you can get revenge, and you take God at his word, and the power of God helps you let go of a hurt, of a a situation, and you stop thinking about it and mulling it over. That is glorious power when God helps you let go of that. When you begin to pray for an enemy instead of hate them with your words, pray for them. And you do what God's word says. It's God's glorious power working in you, enabling you to have that attitude, to put that into practice in your life. When you don't yield to temptation, that is the power of God working in you to do what pleases God and not give in to your flesh. I think that's a far more glorious display of God's power when we see it at work in our everyday lives because that's where God wants to show up most. And he says, um, this kind of power will enable us to stand firm in the face of trials and uh, opposition with patience and long-suffering. You know, Patience, long-suffering, and joy. Doesn't joy seem out of place? That's what I thought when I read this. Go, well, that grouping, I'm not real sure about it. But patience is a steadfastness, a constancy, an endurance. And in the New Testament, it's characteristic of a man who's not swerved from his deliberate purpose and his loyalty to faith and piety by even the greatest trials and sufferings. And so we have to learn patience. It's not natural for us. And, you know, it's as we go through things, God builds it up in our lives. Long, uh, patience deals mostly with circumstances. Long-suffering deals with people. Because, you know, you deal with enough people and you do a lot of suffering long, right? Um, but God is going to cultivate your life. He's going to use the situations of your life, the trials, the difficulty, the circumstances, the people that test you and try you to create godly character. And as he does that, um, you're going to benefit by it. Romans 5, 3 through 5 says, Not only that, but we glory in tribulations, knowing tribulation produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, character, hope. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So as we patiently endure trials and suffering, God is working in our lives. He is conforming us to the image of his son. He is changing us from the people we were to the people he wants us to be. And God will not disappoint. 
The power of God is going to show up every time you need it. I think of Paul and Silas when they were preaching the gospel in Philippi and they healed the slave girl and got everybody all upset and um, they got thrown in jail, beaten. Um, They were accused. They had no trial. They were Roman citizens and um, they were treated unlawfully. And there they are in jail, beaten, accused, unlawfully. And they were not complaining. And they were not griping about it. And they weren't sitting there, oh, I can't even believe You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to call my uh, senator, and I'm going to make sure they know what's happening down here in Philippi. And I'm going to do this, and I'm going to plan that. And I'm going to get out of here because I'm going to figure this out. You know what they were doing? Acts 16.25, at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And so um, the power of God was working in their life, in that circumstance, in that hardship, turning them from um, reacting in the flesh to responding in the spirit so that they were able to worship God. And so many people benefit by that. All those prisoners were listening. They saw what God was doing in these people's lives. The jailer gets saved. God does amazing things. You never know who's watching you as you go through a trial. Are they listening to you complain and murmur and try to sort it all out? Are they listening to you pray and worship God and seek his counsel and go to his word? Trial's not just for you. God wants you to be an example. He wants to use you. He wants to show forth his power out of your life. I think about Paul uh, in the thorn in his flesh. The situation was so difficult. He considered it an assault by Satan. And he was worn out. He's fed up. I mean, we've all been there. Okay, I can't take it anymore. And he goes to God. You know, I just want you to take this thing away. It's, it's, uh, it's too difficult for me. It's too much to handle. And what does God say to him? Second Corinthians 12, 9 through 10. My grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I'll rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distress, for Christ's sake. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. He has learned from this situation that God has a strength for him when he is so weak he can't take it anymore. And as he takes it to God, God will change him. He will not change the circumstance sometimes, but he will change me. He will strengthen me in my point of weakness with his strength. I don't have to be strong. I can have the power of Christ in my life working to help me see things differently. Then when I go through hardship and trials, I know God's with me. God's with me. He's strengthened me. Those that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They'll mount up like wings with eagles. They'll run and not weary. They'll walk. They'll not faint. But that you have to wait on God. 
You have to bring your situation to God, and he will strengthen you in the midst of your trial. Paul didn't get released from this thorn in the flesh. For all we know, it was with him all his life. But you know what it did? It created a dependence upon God. And when we depend upon God, the power of God is released in our life. We learn to uh, reflect him and to respond by his spirit and not to our flesh. You see, naturally, I just want to respond in the flesh. I want to give up. I want to give in. I want to throw in the towel. I'm done. And when I depend upon God, I can go on. I can keep at it. I can know he's with me. I can know he's for me. He will not leave me in this. He will not forsake me. He's going to give me what I need to get through this. I can depend on him. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And the power of God in my life will then produce joy. See, happiness is sourced in happenings. It's what's around me. Joy is an inner attitude of rejoicing in one's salvation, regardless of the circumstances. We have joy no matter what, because we belong to God. I am his daughter. He is watching over me. He is taking care of me. He's going to provide for me. He's going to protect me. I belong to him. I possess his favor, his love, his hope. And our satisfaction comes from God. Nehemiah 8.10, the joy of the Lord is your strength. You put your joy in him. The last thing he prays for these believers in verse 12 through 14 is that they be thankful. Giving thanks to the Father who's qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. He's delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. So he wants them to be thankful for the blessings of their salvation. God has qualified us, made us fit for his kingdom. Ephesians 1, 6 says that he has made us accepted in the beloved. We could not do it of ourselves. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, for grace you've been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. God has done it all. He has saved us. He has made us accepted. It's by his grace. We have this inheritance We don't earn the inheritance. We just receive it. It's an amazing inheritance. 1 Peter 1, 4 says, It is incorruptible, undefiled, that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Your brothers and sisters can't run off with it. It can't be squandered. You can't lose it. It is reserved in heaven for you. Every promise God has ever made to you, the inheritance that is coming to you, will be reserved in heaven. It's undefiled, fades not away. It's just as good today as it was the day God spoke it into existence, as it will be the day you lay hold of it in heaven. So we've been rescued from the power of darkness, and Satan's kingdom is characterized by darkness, spiritual darkness, and bondage. And on the positive side, we've been brought into the kingdom of God's Son, which is characterized by love and light. What an amazing prayer.
Paul prays for these people. When you look at the scope of what his words mean, how powerful, how powerful for us to pray. This is the great model. I remember Kay Smith said she used to, to pray this for Chuck all the time. Okay, it's good enough for Chuck. It's good enough for my husband. This is good enough for I need all this stuff. So ladies, let's just use this as a model and pray for our families, for our friends, for these, um, these issues that we all need to grow in. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for your word, how full, how rich uh, it is, and how powerful it works in our lives. And I pray for every one of us here, Lord, that, Father, you would work in our lives, that we would be filled with the knowledge of your will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, and that we would walk worthy of you, Lord, that we would fully please you, and that we would be fruitful in every good work, everything that you give us to do, Lord, that we would increase in our knowledge of you and, and bring you into a, a deeper place of our life, that, Lord, you would strengthen us with all might by your glorious power, that you would help us to have patience and long-suffering with joy as we experience trials and difficulties. Lord, we thank you that you've qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, that you have delivered us from the power of darkness. You have brought us into the kingdom of the Son of your love. Lord, we thank you for every precious promise you've bestowed upon us. We love you. We thank you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.